We've all had the experience of joining a conversation, coming in upon people who are already talking, and we have no idea what they're talking about. And when I first read through this passage from 2 Samuel, that's what I felt like I had done. And then I went back and read 1 Samuel, and it was a big help. I think you either, it doesn't make sense unless you've been going to Sunday school for 50 years, or we learn the context of uh, this particular passage. First Samuel tells the stories of how Saul became the wished-for king of the Israelite people. With his brave leadership, King Saul enabled them again to believe in themselves. A powerful gift when you have felt overwhelmed by painful circumstances of life. Well, still in 1 Samuel, things start going sour for Saul. And we see then the anointing and the rise in popularity of David. David is one of these guys that you both respect and envy because everything goes his way. Everything that he does succeeds. I was trying to think who... Could we equate that with in our society today? And the, the one who came to mind the fastest was Paul Newman. You think? Here's a man who's handsome, a popular movie actor and director, a race car driver, a maker of salad dressings, cookies, and other foods, from which I learned he has donated about $200 million to charitable and educational uh, causes pretty impressive. And with all that, he doesn't seem to have let fame corrupt him. I read this one story by Charles Swindoll had written it about a woman who was buying an ice cream cone at a thrifty drugstore in Beverly Hills. And she was a little bit rattled when Paul Newman came in and stood right behind her in line. She did well, maintained her composure and got her ice cream cone and, and she walked out. And then once she got outside, she realized she didn't have her ice cream cone. And so she started wondering. She waited a few minutes, you know, to give, to not be too embarrassed, to walk back inside. She looked on the counter. It wasn't there. She was then standing there just thinking for a few minutes, okay, what could I have done with my ice cream cone? And then Paul Newman gently taps her on the shoulder and says, if you're looking for your ice cream cone, you put it in your purse. Oops. So Paul Newman, David. Not only did David succeed at everything, almost everyone in Israel loved him. And David had an extra special relationship with King Saul's firstborn, Jonathan, who would have been the crown prince. David and Jonathan were connected like the closest of brothers. And at first, King Saul loved David too. But toward the end of his life, he became overcome with jealousy. He became obsessed with hunting David and killing him. But Saul dies first. Our passage today is the dirge. 
David composes to express not only his grief, but the grief of the nation over the death of one who had once offered such hope. One commentator connects this dirge with the deep grief felt by this nation when President John Kennedy was assassinated. Though some didn't like him, obviously, for many, Kennedy represented hope. Hope for the United States. And so when he was killed, the nation became one in grief. Partisan politics were put on hold. And the Civil Rights Act of 1963 was passed. Now, closer to my experience and some of some others here was the way this nation came together after September 11th, 2001. Again, partisan politics were put on hold. We were all grieving together. Petty things lost their value. Family, friends, and God regained the top slots on our priority lists. And as we grieved, we learned again that freedom is not free. That freedom is costly. It's not possible without loss and without sacrifice. Some of you know firsthand about such sacrifices, perhaps from your years in the military, perhaps from your sorrow, grieving the deaths of those dear to you, or your blessing of others who you have sent, blessed as they have gone to serve us in this country. David grieves the death of two great leaders sets aside his own expectations of power, and solemnly expresses the grief of his nation as he cries, Your glory, O Israel, lies slain upon your high places. Your heroes lie slain. Men of valor have died. It's time to weep. Similar grief may have elicited the writing of Psalm 130. It begins, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. I wondered, could this be how followers of Jesus felt after his crucifixion? They had put their hope in him, their trust in him, and now he had been slain by the stronger earthly power represented by Pilate and Herod and the sadly confused Jewish council. Freedom is costly. For freedom, we sacrifice things we covet and things we love. I can talk and dream about myriad ways to spend my lottery winnings. Except, I don't play the lottery. And if I don't sacrifice the money to play, I can't win. I can wish for a deep and strong relationship with my husband. 
but it takes sacrifice. Sacrifice of time, talking through differences. Sacrifice of pride in saying, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Yes, it's true. Sacrifice of my individual wants for the long-term good of the relationship and the family. We can wish for a valley, a nation, or a world where people no longer judge each other with prejudice, where people share generously and offer forgiveness openly. But we have to make those same sacrifices. Not just be willing to make those sacrifices, but actually make them. We can wish for a vibrant and growing church, but we must know that it's not going to happen without each of us sacrificing something costly, whether time or fear of intimacy or a competing good activity. The good things in life are costly, and it is important to pause, to grieve, and to reflect on the sacrifices because they enable the next step. The next step is hope. Psalm 130 continues, If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. Therefore you are feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word I put my hope. O Israel, O people of God, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love. And with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. As we gather to remember Jesus' last supper with his disciples, we grieve for Jesus because we know, we think we know, how painful his sacrificial tomorrow is going to be. Jesus sacrificed his life to show us God's love and God's power. So, we do not grieve as a people who have no hope, we are told in 1 Thessalonians. For with the Lord, again from the psalm, with the Lord is unfailing love and with him is full redemption. New life comes. That hope gives us energy. It gives us confidence. It empowers us to work. Not to try to take the easy way out by playing the lottery, but to sacrificially work for a future of which God would be proud. A future of which we would be proud. A future of which our children 
would be proud. Freedom is costly. David lost those who were greatly beloved. We lose people who are greatly beloved. And yet we are called to sacrifice. Sacrifice for the one who gave his all for us. Let's pray in his name. Holy God, aware of your power and your presence, we offer ourselves to you in prayer with thanksgiving, with humility, and with openness. You have called us, O oh God, and we have responded. Help us to respond further with the joy which you enable in us, with laughter, with dancing, with humor. Lord our God, this is a solemn feast, but it reminds us of the great, glorious, and joyous feast that we will share with you one day. As we receive the bread and the cup this morning, Remind us of the many colorful and wonderful ways with which you infuse us with love and with power, with glory and with hope. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.